All right, it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be vision night if I didn't have handouts. Right, write the vision. Write the vision. Make it plain. So, oh man, all I ha- all I did was say the word handout. Yeah, here I got mobbed with volunteers. These guys are these guys have been these have been these guys have been waiting. Ever since we planted, they've been waiting to hand things out. Tonight is the night. Um, so there's three there's three handouts. That I, I made 25 of each. I thought that was an okay estimate uh, between the one per family or individual. Uh, we should have plenty. And we probably have enough for each person. So don't be shy. Don't be shy. So this is one of those teachings that, I don't know, it could be 20 minutes long. Uh, It could be an hour long. We'll we'll just have to see. It's fairly simple, but it's also not so simple. Deserves some time. Um, As as promised, I want to do my best to lay out the vision of our church and also as an added bonus kind of give some thoughts about family vision making making vision as a family Uh, if we are anything we are a family church (laughs) at this point Um, so um, if it looks like they're about all out so Go to the handout. The first handout that I want to look at is the one that says the overall vision. And I did not make this. <laughs> uh, this is something that has been around for a long time. You can probably tell by looking at it. Um, but that's how we do things, right? That's part of the vision. Be slightly janky in the way that we do things. In our uh, whole aesthetic. Um, so look at that first one. It says the overall vision, and I've failed to keep one for myself of these handouts. Now one of our brave volunteers will bail me out here. Yeah, all three would be good. Uh, unfortunately, I've not committed them to memory, though I probably should. Okay. All right. So the overall vision, get that out, and you can write on the side, because it's not written in the actual text on the handout, because uh, this is what I'm going to talk about. There's three elements to the vision of our church. You can write this somewhere. Number one, to build Christians who multiply themselves. To build Christians who multiply themselves. Number two who will build home fellowships that multiply. Number three, which will build churches that multiply. And this is sort of the picture of that in action. Uh, Let me just read some of this. Our general thought is to keep congregations of around 180 people, including children, we're close to that, including children, to our to us right now. Um, <laughs> upon reaching that number, we would hope to plant a seed congregation of twenty to fifty people. 
We can imagine a number of these congregations meeting all over Lexington and the surrounding towns. Each congregation will have a number of people equipped to care for the congregation through daily living. A congregation of 120 people should have around 10 10 home fellowship leaders with assistance. The pastor of a congregation should have raised up a couple of leaders who have built home fellowships and released other home fellowship leaders. And that's where we are. I would say we're... um, if we were to put ourselves and map ECF onto this graphic here, um, we'd have the pastor and then the elders would be borrowed from LCF. Still, We're still under the eldership of, of LCF. And we have three home groups that are functioning. Um, our home groups, our next step as a church is to, for one of those three home groups, or all three of them really, uh, to multiply themselves, to, to, to send themselves out. Um, that's it. That's the overall vision. But I want to talk about those three points of building Christians who multiply themselves, building home groups that multiply themselves, and building churches that multiply themselves. That's the vision. That's what we're doing. Um, and it's fairly simple, right? That's fairly understandable. Uh, so building Christians who multiply themselves. This is not just a strategy of church growth, right? And you can be very tempted in these sorts of diagrams, you know, sometimes they start to look like uh, multi-level marketing, you know, a pyramid scheme. Um, It's not just a strategy for growth, okay? The reason our aim is to build Christians who multiply themselves is because that was the original mandate for mankind. It was what God first commanded people to do after he created them. He said, be fruitful And multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And it's the mandate that is echoed down through the generations and covenants that God makes with mankind. Noah, he wipes out the whole earth and he he chooses Noah and he says, Noah, be fruitful and multiply. He calls Abraham. He says, Abraham, come follow me. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. It's just another way of saying be fruitful and multiply. In the New Testament, the image we have of this and the language that we use for it is discipleship. Discipleship. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. And this is the fulfillment. This is the the living out of of God's promise to Abraham, which itself is the living out of the original purpose of mankind, which was to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Jesus' great commission at the end of Matthew is just a restatement of the original mandate that God gave to mankind. Be fruitful and multiply. And we need to have this high view of discipleship because discipleship is not a strategy for spiritual formation. It's not one of the options out there for how to conduct ministry in a church. It is the Christ-mandated context in which we connect with the purposes of God. Okay? Discipleship is not just a strategy for spiritual formation. It's the Christ-mandated context in which we connect as individuals with the eternal purposes of God and discover our meaning as human beings. You will not discover your meaning, your purpose as a human, outside of discipleship to Jesus. Okay? And that's just the truth. We, we embrace that truth, and that is why we do discipleship. In quote, we're doing discipleship. 
what are we doing? We are fulfilling God's original mandate to mankind. That's how he has said it's going to happen. What is discipleship? We, we spent several weeks talking about it a few months ago. Um, discipleship is forsaking all for Jesus. Discipleship is radical surrender to Jesus. Discipleship is self-denial. Discipleship is counting the cost and embracing the cross and daily following Jesus, obeying his commands, learning how to live by following Jesus, hearing from him and doing what he says. That's discipleship. Okay. Uh, Discipleship's culmination is being added to a group of people who have committed their lives, entire lives, to the work of making disciples. Okay, so discipleship leads to going and making disciples. As you come to follow Jesus, as you deny yourself, he teaches you how to live. He, he, he shows you who you are in light of him. He shows you what your purpose is, but then he sends you out to go and help others find the same sort of life, forsaking all to follow Jesus and to, and to offer people the opportunity to forsake their lives and come and follow Jesus and learn from him how to live. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So initiating them. Baptism is, is an initiation, but it's also a, a burial. Forsaking their life, denying themselves, coming up out of the water as a new person, a new creation to walk after Jesus, to be conformed into his image. And his image is one of making disciples, of of inviting people to come along with him. And so you as a disciple who has forsaken your life, you will find the culmination of that work that God is doing in your life in laying down your lives to see other people find the same sort of, of life. So there's two proofs of discipleship. There's two proofs of discipleship that Jesus gives. There's more proofs, but here's two explicit proofs that Jesus gives And again, we're talking about the vision of building Christians who multiply themselves. This is is our first and, and, and primary goal as a church. Two proofs of discipleship. Love for one another. Love for one another. A new commandment I give to you. This is John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you... You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I like that phrase, one another, because it's, not a, it's a specific phrase. Right? When, when it's one another, if you're, if you're talking to a group of people and you say one another, you know who's included in that. It's the people sitting next to you. <laughs> For the disciples, it was the people who were within earshot of Jesus, one another. You guys, you 12 guys, or however many were there when he said that, you are to love one another. That is your high calling, is to love one another. What does that mean? To lay your life down for those people, for those specific people. Greater love has no one than this. And this is in the same exact uh, discourse that he says this. He defines love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And, and 
We always need to point out that this is not just the heroic, I, I would take a bullet for you, the hypothetical, I would die for you if it came down to it. No, this is an active, this is, I, I literally have laid down my life for you. I have yielded my life to what God wants me to do for you. That's what it means to lay down your life for your friends. It means to do what Jesus did for his friends, which was to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So love for one another and the second proof of discipleship is bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. John 15, 8. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Bearing fruit is a very interesting metaphor. It's very interesting language because it goes all the way back to Genesis 1. When God was creating the world, he says he made fruit in which, is, in which is its seed, right? That's what makes something fruit, is the ability to reproduce, okay? So fruit, it goes beyond growth, right? Growth is not proof of discipleship, okay? You can be growth, you can, you can grow and still be a vegetable. That's all you are, you're just a vegetable, <laughs> But it's not until you bear fruit that you're a true disciple. Okay? Vegetation grows and then dies. And that's it. Then it goes into the ground. A fruit grows, goes into the ground. But as Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so we are called to bear fruit. Reproduction. It's woven into the fabric of all living organisms and you are not truly a living person a human being until you have understood what it means to bear fruit now we have all sorts of natural examples to look at right love one another and bear fruit it sounds like a marriage right in love for one another in the union of a marriage there is reproduction there's fruit right god has woven it in to our very existence as humans but We've made those things the end. But those were all just teaching tools to show us what we were meant to be as humans. We are meant to lay down our lives, to love one another so deeply that the result of our love for one another is reproduction of that, of that life and more people at it. Okay? This is what a marriage shows us. This is what family shows us. But these are pointers of, of the way it's supposed to be in life. This is the way it was in eternity. In the beginning, God said, what we have is great. Let us make man in our image. We love one another so deeply that this love needs to, there needs to be more to share in this love. We need to reproduce this. We need to recreate it. We need to create a creature in, in the image of this so that we can share with it. So bearing fruit means that the effect of your life on the people around you it's not only that they flourish, although it is that. Right? That's what it really means to love someone, to commit to do whatever it takes to cause someone else to flourish. That's what love is. That's not what the world tells you love is. It's a, it's a commitment to do whatever it takes, whatever is necessary to cause someone else to flourish. 
But bearing fruit goes beyond that. The effect of your life on the people around you is not only that they flourish, but then that they cause others to flourish as well. That's what fruit is. It's going into, laying down your life, the seed going into the ground, but then bearing more fruit. And then that fruit grows, and then there's fruit that gets born from that fruit. Okay? And fruit, this is the, this is the uh, I don't know if this is a scientific term or not, but it's fructification. That's what it's called. Isn't that the biological term for it? Something, when, it, when it's fructifying, I don't know why I looked at I looked at. <laughs> Ah, take a trip to dictionary.com. Fructification. If anyone, if anyone wants to Google it and then read the definition, uh, let me know. Just raise your hand and I'll, I'll call on you. All right, so building Christian... Oh, yeah, what you got? What's it say? Oh, okay. Organs of fruiting, especially reproductive parts of firms and muscles. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Well, there we go. <laughs> okay. Ferns and mosses. <laughs> to build Christians who multiply themselves. That is, okay, that's the first part of our vision. To build Christians who multiply themselves. So, every person that comes to be part of this church, we have a, an obligation to them. To help them grow to the place where they are bearing fruit. And obviously the, the primary aspect of that is personal relationship with Jesus. Okay? Um, in the same section in John, he says, listen, you have to abide in me. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, so coming, becoming attached to the vine, receiving life from Jesus, and from that flow of life, beginning to bear fruit in the lives of other people. That is it. That's the vision for every individual of this church, to be a fruit-bearing, reproducing individual. Okay? Um, Home fellowships that multiply. All right? Uh, The vision of a home fellowship, and hopefully you you will have heard this at some point, um, that your home group leader, I'm talking to myself too, will often share the vision because we, we, we do need to constantly keep it in view. The vision of a home group, there's five parts of it. Number one, every individual in a living relationship with God. Every individual abiding in God. Following Jesus. Knowing God. To help each person find a discipling relationship that can really help them grow in their walk with God personally, to get to know Jesus personally, to understand how to pray, how to read the word, how to, how to become integrated into the family of God. Um, this is number one. Number two is to then learn how to love, learn how to lay down your life by loving the specific people in your home group. Okay? To put names and faces on all of those one another commands in Scripture. That's another aspect of, of the home group. Number three is extending the fellowship to others. Right? Going outward, bringing more people in, reproducing, directing your love outward. Number four is uh, maturing, 
growing up into, into leadership, into greater responsibility. Identifying emerging leadership. And then once, once faithful uh, leaders have proven themselves by, by laying down their lives, by being fully devoted to, to the work of God, uh, multiplying and sending out that leader with the people that he has laid down his life for. Uh, and, and really the, the fruit that he has borne to go and identify that and say, yes, a, a new group can, can, uh, can function healthily. Um, so those are the five points of a vision of a home group uh, to help each person um, grow. And that's how a home group multiplies. When someone comes in, they get discipled. They learn how to reach out. And with the people that come in, they learn how to lay down their life for them and help them grow. Once they've done that, they have the skills necessary uh, to, to care for a home fellowship group. And we identify that, send them out. It sounds easy. But it's, a, it's a complex process with a lot of moving parts. And it's about, again, it's about um, active, grounded, and concrete love. All right? Love God and love people. Right? We can all agree that that's, <laughs> that's the will of God for our lives. Um, but in home groups, we have a way to identify the people that you need to lay down your life for. In First uh, John four nineteen, it says, "We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen." Cannot love God whom he has not seen. So home groups are a testing ground. Do you really love God? Do you really love God? Show me by loving these brothers and sisters that you can see. That are there. That are right in front of you. And if you cannot love them. If you cannot lay down your life for them. And, and do, what, do what's necessary to cause the people around you to flourish. To serve them. Um, then you have no business saying I love God. I'm just all really in love with God. If you find it difficult to open your life and to, to lay down your life for the, for the specific people in your home group, um, you have trouble really understanding what it means to love God. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. All right? Number three. So those home groups will build churches that multiply. And briefly, a, a, a church multiplies when there's a team of mature leaders and, uh, who have worked with someone with the gifting of a of, of pastor under the guidance and wisdom of the eldership when they've been identified as a team and they've been proven and they've walked through the steps of discipling others, helping those people to disciple others, helping home groups to multiply. They've walked through all the all the, the, the tiers of leadership development, they've hit relational conflict and walked through it. Um, and once that, that team is, is mature and functioning as a team, they have, they are a seed that can be sent out. And that's what we were two years ago, coming up on two years ago. But really, we were identified, um, I'd say even three years before we planted, we were starting to be identified as a team. And so when that happens, we, we just say, all right, here's sort of 
a team that's forming. Here's a guy with a, a pastoral gifting. Let's see what happens. Let's see what kind of fruit uh, comes of this. And once the fruit is really there, then we send it out to bear more fruit. And that's it. That's, that's what we are about. That's uh, the vision that we have. That's where we are headed. That's always where we're going to be headed until God really <laughs> redirects us. But I don't think he will. Uh, this is just kind of plainly uh, obeying scripture that says, go make disciples. Um, so that's it. That's what that first page is all about. Um, now this one, this is kind of a, uh, this would be under that first part of the vision to build Christians who multiply themselves. This is really when we talk about abiding in God, this is what we often talk about. And we spent a, a good part of last year, or not 2019, 2018 during the men's meeting, help, helping guys realize that all these boxes around the outside, um, that, that church, or that, that your relationship with God isn't, isn't a box, and then your relationship to church is a box, and then your relationship to the world is a box. Everything revolves around your relationship with God and you abiding in God, understanding how to relate to your church through your personal walk with Jesus, understanding how to relate to the world, your neighbors, the people that you work with, through prayer, reading the word, hearing and doing the will of God. And then on down the line. So we don't have time to get into this, but this is just sort of you as a person, all the areas that God wants to show you how to live. This is discipleship on a page. These are, all these outside boxes are areas that, that Jesus wants to teach you how to live. And he's going to teach you through the word. He's going to teach you through prayer. And he's going to teach you through also people who come and can help you understand scripture and help you uh, understand the will of God. It, even on here is, is part of the verse that we read. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except, except, it, <laughs> wait, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. If you abide in me and I am words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. So that's it. That's the vision of our church. Um, so I, I do want to say something about family vision uh, because we do, and that's this third page. Right? This is something that we, we encourage every father to take the, the lead on. And also, if you're, not, if you're a single, right, you can do this too. This is not just for families. Uh, you won't have as many vertical, what are the vertical ones? Columns, rows, columns. Okay, you won't have as many columns. Right? Some people have more columns than others. Um, but you can, you, you should seek the Lord and and, under, and and be clear for yourself on the vision in these areas. But here's here's the important thing to note. That, and let me. I want to read a quote from Andy Crouch, who uh, wrote a book called The Tech Wise Family. He's written a lot of really good books. Um, but this quote is actually in a book on a Christian view of technology in the home, um, which is a great book. Uh, but he, he is talking about, he, he opens the book talking about 
what a family is for. And um, he has, I think, a very profound understanding that is rare in these days uh, of, of what family is and what church is and the relationship between family and church, okay? So he says this, if our families are to be all that they are meant to be, which is schools of wisdom and courage, they will have to become more like the church. Households where we are actively formed into something more than our culture would ask us to be. And if our churches are to be all that they are meant to be, they will have to become more like a family. Household-like contexts of daily life where we are all nurtured and developed into the persons we are meant to be and can become. We've always needed a community wider than the solitary nuclear family to thrive, and we surely need it now, he says. So, I like how he says that. I like how he says, in order for families to really thrive, they need to be more like churches, where there's a vision, where, where, it's, where it's centered around discipleship to Jesus, and there's active training going on and nurturing going on. And for the church to thrive, it really needs to be more like family, where it's not just a once-a-week thing. It's not just another thing in your life. It's, where you, it's the, your day-to-day life. Right? It is the people that you, are, that you live with. Okay? So, Scripture presents the families, families and, and individuals as building blocks of the church. Okay? And this is something that we've missed entirely in America. Individuals and families are building blocks of the church. Not the other way around. Okay? The, the church is not an enriching thing that you can add to your family. All right? A good thing to add to yourself as an individual. The first priority is a family. Your first priority is a family. In coming up with your family vision, in, in seeking God for your, your family vision, is clearly seeing the vision of your local church. And knowing to whom God has given you. You really cannot formulate a, a fruitful family vision if you don't first see who, who is God giving us to? Where, who is he building us together with as a family? Okay? Just as you as an individual can't really go off in isolation in a bubble and say, hmm, in order for me to, to really thrive this year, here's what I need to do. There's a thousand self-help books that could probably help you do something that makes you feel like you've accomplished something this year. But it's not going to be what God has designed for you. Okay? You cannot understand who you need to be and the things that you need to have goals for this year apart from knowing who it is that God wants you to lay your life down for. You can't. Everybody understand that? You cannot come up with ideas. Hey, I just have this on my heart. I really want to go do this. All right, how does it fit? What are the people that God has called you to lay your life down for? How does it fit with that? How does it help you build Christians who multiply themselves, who build home groups that multiply themselves, who build churches that multiply themselves? Does it aid that vision? Does it supplement it? Does it, does it support it and, and resource it? So that's your first priority as a family, okay? It's, it's not the other way around. 
we see, all right, family is the sovereign unit, and church has to yield to the family as the sovereign unit. Now, every father does have authority over his family, right? But God is calling people together as families, and he's building them together. It says, in whom you all are being built together for a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. God's the builder. And he knows how he wants us to fit together. And we need to find that and give ourselves to that. So if I can give a a kind of an illustration to, to... drive this home and it's you know we'll we'll just stay with the house building metaphor Um, a family who really just has their vision all set and they've they've got it down and and they've got these goals and we are going to be uh, we are going to be a godly homeschooling family and we're going to achieve these things and be excellent in what we do a family that does that to the detriment of their relationships in the church is like someone who, like, all right, so there's a house, there's a blueprints to the house. The house is being built. There's all sorts of raw materials being gathered and sourced for this house. But there's a way that they need to, be fit, that they need to fit together. And someone who's really just focused on their own vision is like someone who's, who comes to the, the job site <laughs> and says, okay, look at this, look at this wood. All right, look at this wood. It's, it's, it's uh, reclaimed lumber, and it's, just, it's perfect, right? This is, this is a perfect piece of wood. Um, it just looks great. It'd be great. This is the new trend right now. This is what everyone has on Instagram. And this piece of wood, it's just going to make it all come together. And the, I don't know, who's the guy that decides where things go and has the blueprints? The general contractor or the architect? Yeah. The architect goes, okay, take it in the back and cut it into this pieces, and, the, and then it can go here, here, and here. And then, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with the piece of wood? Right? Well, the house doesn't call for that. The blueprints don't include. You should have thought of that before you brought your prized possession and said, all right, here, use this to build the house. If you really want us to use this to build the house, you've got to be okay with us taking it in the back and chopping it up. Okay? This is what God is doing. We come to his house and it says in 1 Peter, it says that we are as living stones are being built together. If you read about in, in uh, Chronicles about the building of the temple, there's a lot of processing of the, the raw materials that goes on before they're ready to be used for the temple. And so God, we need to understand the way that God has to process us. And how, and what is the, how, do, how are we processed? We're processed according to what the blueprints call for, right? Say we're a, a, a mighty oak tree, okay? Um, well, glorious in itself, but if it's going to be used for the temple of God, they need to know exactly what beam it's going to go on and exactly the measurements, and then you get the saws out and the axes and you, you hew it down and you plane it down to where it fits just right. And that's a destructive work. But it's for the sake of the body, for the sake of the, the, the house of God, right? And you can get a vision for this and a sense of this in all of those, the, when, when the temple's being built, when Solomon's temple's being built, all of the material and the gold is all gathered and then, it's, and then the craftsmen begin to work and they begin to, to, to mold those and shape those materials. So this is what happens 
There is a blueprint, there is a vision for the way that God wants his house to run. And so all of us, as we come to the household of God and, and offer ourselves as, as materials for the building of the house of God, we all have to yield to the work that goes on that, of, of pruning and hewing and cutting and measuring so that we can fit where we need to fit. All right? And some people get scared of that processing and feel like it's going to diminish them and they can't, they can't stomach it. Okay? So that's what I want to say in, in, in terms of family vision. What really needs to happen is we need to get a vision for the household of God. And get a vision for, this, this should be what your vision is for the year. How is God going to work in my life? How is God going to work in our family's life to process us, to progress us toward uh, becoming a more f- uh, fruit-bearing part, a more fruitful part of the, of the household of God? Um, so the vision of the local church, the church that God is adding you to, affects every area of this church. So you can, you can get it out. You can go fill this out. You and your wife and, or you as an individual could go and, and come up with some pretty godly and admirable goals. But you have to run everything through the filter of how does this, does this build the house of God? Does this make us more of an aspect, more of a... a, a uh, a pillar in the household of God as a family. Um, spiritual growth, right? I mean, God, do you have an understanding of where God is working in your life? Do you understand? Uh, you could have your own goals for your children spiritually, but are you, do you have a view of releasing them into the work of the kingdom? Or do you have a view of releasing them into the world to be successful? Because you're going to have different goals for spiritual growth uh, depending on those different ultimate goals. Um, even take something like scheduling. Scheduling. Um, you could schedule something that might be really beneficial for your family. All right, we're going to get this sort of routine or rhythm down. Um, but if you're not thinking in, in terms of the household of God, say, you know, all right, we're going to, we are going to get up at 5 a.m. every day. And I have nothing against that, right? So these are all purely, <laughs> I'm not stepping on anyone's actual, we're going to get up at 5 a.m. every day, which means that maybe we've got to be in bed at like, at like 8.30. Or maybe we're going to get up at 4. So we've got to get in bed at, at like 8. All right, so that means we're never going to do anything past 8. All right, that might be good, okay, for, for you, <laughs> What about the home group that starts at 7? Right? What about your home group that starts at 7 and has started at 7? Right? So you think in terms of, it, it even gets down to those practical things. How can I make the best decisions that make me the most available to the work of God in, in his household? Um, scheduling. Um, all right. Next, next summer, we're going to go on this vacation. We've got it lined up. We booked the thing. Well, 2021 is a church vacation year. Well, I only get one week of vacation or two weeks of vacation in my job, and I just I got to use them for my family. Well, we're asking everyone every three years to take to use one of their weeks of vacation to to all be together. This is something we prayed about, and um, 
So scheduling things, being aware, considering, hey, what are the, th- what are the things I need to leave open so that we can participate in the church stuff? Uh, the three-day fast, right? You want to schedule a bunch of parties around the three-day fast. Um, and even just general mobility, like being able to respond to need. If you, if you block out all your time and it's all accounted for the way some productivity methods call for, if you block out all your time, then what's going to happen when a need arises, right? And it's fine, block out your time, but are you going to remain open and responsive to need? Are you going to steward your life and your time and your schedule to say, well, this is what we're going to do, but if need arises, man, we can drop this and this and this at any time. We, are, we definitely will, right? So scheduling, finances, um, in your financial goals, in your budgeting, um, you know, tithing, and I, I hate talking about money, right? I, I, all we have is a little basket up here. Um, but you need to understand this because this is, this is an important aspect of, of walking with God. Tithing is just free throws, okay? Tithing is not the game. Tithing is just a drill, <laughs> okay? Tithing is a basic drill that develops your ability to not grasp your wealth so tightly, okay? That's what tithing is. Uh, t- there's nothing magical about 10%. And 10% is not God's portion of what you own. God's portion of what you own is 100% if you're a disciple, right? It's all his. So your point of prayer is not, hmm, it's not how much should we give. Your point of prayer is how much do we need to live on? And God, show me how to use the rest. That's, that's, how, you, that's how you think about financial goals. What is the lifestyle you, what is, what's the level, what's the standard of living that's faithful, that, that glorifies you, that you've called our family to, to have, regardless of our income? What's the, what's, what is the lifestyle that you would have us live? Because what happened is the more people, the more money people have coming in, the lifestyle kind of goes up. Why is that? Now, I think there's, there's a range of faithful lifestyles, right? But the point is, do you pray about it? Do you pray about how you spend your money? Do you pray about, do we need to live on $50,000? Do we need to live on $30,000? Do we need to live on $100,000? God, you show us what we need to live on and how you've called us to, to live and what the lifestyle is and everything else that comes in on top of that. I am, we're going to pray about that too, but we're not going to just spend it frivolously and we're not going to increase our lifestyle as money coming in increases. Um, so these are ways that being added to the body of God, being given to a, the vision of a local church, affects the way that you come up with your family vision. Um, relationships. Um, you, you could probably say, you know, who are the relationships I really want to focus on this year? Well, you know, what are the kids that we want our friends to be, that we want our kids to be friends with? Um, who do we really admire and, and like the way they, they live their life and the kids we really appreciate the way that they act? And that could drive the way that you decide who to focus on and, and what relationships to, to really hold. Or you can say, who are the people in my home group? And what's the best way to love them? 
and say, we are going to commit to this family. I don't care what their kids act like. (laughs) We're going to commit to this family to love them, to lay our lives down for them, and to see them flourish. And that's a totally different way of having vision for the relationships that your family is going to be given to for the year. Therefore, you as an individual. Who is it that God has called me to lay my life down for? This year, I want to put them on my chart and look at this regularly and say, am I laying my life down for them and how and what do I need to do to do that better? And spend a year loving this person. You will see radical fruit come forth from your life if you live in this way. Okay? It's going into the ground and dying. But unless it dies, it abides alone. Right? Unless you put yourself on the altar like this, you're just going to be a family that's a seed that has potential but never quite bears fruit. It's just going to remain a seed and abide alone. <coughs> uh, and then, you know, I, I already mentioned, but for each of our kids, for each of these columns here, what are you preparing them for? Are you preparing them for a life of themselves, seeing the vision and giving themselves to it? Or are you preparing them for the life that you wish you had when you were a kid or, or whatever? Um, something that the way you want your kids to be, uh, the, the vision that you, you have in your own mind for what, what, a, what a child should be. Um, all right, so that's, that's family vision. And I do want to encourage you, and a lot of you already have something similar to this. So if you do already have a system for vision, don't, uh, don't scrap it for this. Um, spiritual growth, personal character, scheduling, finances, uh, relationships, calling and gifting. Uh, a calling would be more like, um, it's not something that is, is like if you are a, a wife and a mother, that's your calling. Right? You're called to, God has called you to be a wife. And so your calling in that area, your vision for that, that calling area is how can I improve as, as a wife, as a mother? What does God want me to be? And then gifting is who, what am I uniquely gifted to do? And how can I develop that this year in a way that serves the people around me? Intellectual training, practical training, body and health. All of these things need to be um, thought of first in light of that radical discipleship. What would Jesus say? What, how is he calling me to live? But then also, how would he have me live in a way that, that um, serves the people that I have been given to? All right, so that is uh, as clearly and succinctly as I can present the vision of our church and um, who, the way that we should go about forming our, our family visions each year um, and, and leading our families, especially as, as husbands, we lead out in this process. But wives, we are, we're to be a, a vital part of it. And this really needs to be a point of agreement, right? A point of prayer and agreement between husbands and wives so that... So that you as a husband are submitting to what you have agreed with your wife to do. Right? And that will set you free uh, from lots of conflict. <laughs> okay. uh, if you together pray and say, yes, uh, we are both submitting to this. Then you as a husband, you, need, you are accountable to that. And it's great because then you can, you can pull your brothers in. And they can understand what your vision is as a family. And they can help you 
when you're complaining about what your wife is doing or what your kids are doing, and they can help you say, well, no, but you agreed to this as well. Right? You agreed to this scheduling thing. You agreed to a, a monthly date night with your wife. Stop thinking that she's needy. You, you submitted to it. Go and do it. Right? She's not being high maintenance. You together agreed to do this. All right? Um, and all sorts of practical things like that. Um, all right. So that all of that is still, you know, I'm, I, I would love to get as specific as I can, but we just don't have time. There's a hundred, a thousand different practical concerns that come up and practical thoughts uh, that you'll have. And so I, I want to encourage you to uh, maybe take the next few weeks in home group um, to voice some of these concerns or, or in your smaller discipleship groups, accountability groups to say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I quite understand how to have the correct vision in this particular area or what, what this aspect of the vision of the church means for me. Um, have these conversations because there's, there's very specific and, and, and particular questions that come up. Um, all right. Uh, probably need to bring it to a close, but are there any questions that are on your mind even right now that, that we could maybe uh, spend a few minutes answering? Does it make sense? Yeah. Do you have any like summarized thoughts for the single people? I remember not doing this when I was single because it felt like it fit mostly for family groups. Yeah. Like, how does this play out for them? Well, it plays out in this way. You as a single person should be just as given to the work of God and just as buried in responsibility as any married person. Um, now there are some there are some differences because even as Paul points out, whoever's married has earthly concerns and they, they, a big part of their uh, time is spent dealing with earthly concerns and that, that's that's great. That's what they need to be doing. That's how to be a faithful husband. Uh, but you as a single person have unique opportunity to you're freed from some of those uh, more burdensome and, and, and worldly concerns, and the, the sky's the limit, right? I mean, go disciple ten people this year. Uh, give your life, give all of your free time to helping a family in the church. I mean, th- there's there's a hundred ways that you could come up with. I mean, don't think small. Don't protect yourself from the altar of service. Go to it and be a living sacrifice. Um, be busier than a, than a married person, right? Be as as buried and as. And one of the great paradoxes is that, and this is, I think, this is just by design on God's part. But one of the great paradoxes is that the the people that are most that most chip in to practical needs are usually the married people. I think some of that is that they've they've developed a sense of responsibility and givenness through being married and through having kids that it's hard to develop when you're single. It's just hard, right? Marriage breaks you in a way that it's hard to be broken without being married. And I, that's why I say all the time, I wish I could be single really knowing what it's like to be married because, man, I, I'd be all over it. You know, oh, okay, right? I really do have time. I really do have resource to help. I really can be of service in this way, right? Um, 
It's just really hard to envision those things until you have been just given to a wife and to kids and you have no other option. Right? And you just begin to live in that sense of, well, if there's a need, I'll take care of it. Does that make sense? But yeah, I'd say for single people, there's no such thing as discretionary time. That's like discretionary income, right? That's a myth in the, in the household of God. Eh, I'm going to spend it here, here. No. What does God want you to do? Um, and if you find yourself wondering what to do with this time versus this time, you probably are not as given to the work as you need to be. And I say that just because I know my, my own life as a single man in the church with uh, these sorts of thoughts. You can be an extremely effective person in the kingdom as a single person. And there is a unique calling on single people uh, and a unique resource that they have uh, to be of service in the kingdom. So don't limit yourself. Yeah. Well, I just echo what you're saying. I remember one of the times when Chad did the teaching in men's meeting because he was particularly talking about fatherhood. And I remember yeah. a specific point that a single man will not exempt from that call because Paul yes. considers himself a father. Yes. And that you should be carrying out the life of a father as a single person because you're bringing new life into the kingdom and that's the way that you live out fatherhood as, a, as someone that's not married. Yeah. And so anyway, just kind of almost out of dream. Yeah, fatherhood is not a biological phenomenon in the house of God. Fatherhood is a, is a level of maturity. Um, and yes, biological fathers are fathers technically, but some biological fathers aren't truly fathers. And some non-biological, uh, you know, single people are really more fathers than some immature biological fathers. Right, so fatherhood it gets redefined in the in the kingdom of God. Fatherhood is in, in you know in First John it, it talks about three stages of growth. He's addressing three different categories of people, and he defines those categories not by biological reality or you know age uh, or legal legal seniority, <laughs> but he, he defines it as uh, their the relationship, the, the maturity of their relationship with God. He talks to, I, I, talk, I, I write to you children, I write to you young men, and I write to you fathers. Um, that would be worth looking at as well if you're a single person. Uh, we are to, to go through childhood and, and being a young man so that we can truly be fathers in the kingdom of God. And same thing with women, uh, just as, as mothers. And, um, yeah. Anything else? Yeah. I'd just like to read uh, the first few verses of Exodus 36. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That the church doesn't really assert your authority as the head of the household or as an individual. Yes. It doesn't put any constraints or demands or even requests on you, but it's a free will offering. Yes. I'd like someone to read it. This is when Moses is building the tabernacle. 
Bezalel and Ochiliah and every craftsman in whom the Lord had put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Ochiliah and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work in the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. Yeah. 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 Yeah, anywhere in the Old Testament where they're, where they're constructing the tabernacle or the temple is a picture of the way that God is building the church. Amen. Anything else before we pray and, and close? I didn't necessarily want to answer everybody's questions tonight, but I wanted to get all of the right questions and, and frame the frame the conversation so that we can this isn't something we're going to learn fully this month or this year or this decade uh, but this is the this is the vision and this is what God has called us to do and we will continue to remind ourselves remind each other of the vision um, so that it can uh, it can come to pass. And I'll say this, that there's one of the great verses about vision that you always hear when people are talking about vision is in Habakkuk. I think Stephen mentioned it last week. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he can run who reads it. Um, it also says that if the vision seems slow, wait for it. In other words, it's a great picture that we have. And if it doesn't seem like that picture, even this year, happens, don't scrap the picture. Don't, wait for it. Do it again. Do it another year and another year and keep at it. And as, again, house building. There's, there's this whole group of houses being built right, right in the entrance to our neighborhood. And it took them forever to like clear the land, to do all the foundation work, to do the, re, do the utilities and the plumbing. And it's just like a big mess forever. And it looked like awful. And then in like three weeks, these houses go, Vroom! right? And so that happens a lot of times. There's, there, are, there are demolition years, <laughs> right? But it's still, it's still building the house. It's still making preparations. So if the vision seems slow, if you, don't, if you walk into the house and it just looks like, Still, <laughs> right? Kate's saying amen. Um, <laughs> um, don't lose heart, right? And, uh, and wait for it. So let me, do, I, I, let me close by just reading that in, in Habakkuk. Let me find Habakkuk. There we go. Right after Nahum. 
Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Father, I pray that you would, um, that you would write the vision on our hearts. That you would make it plain for us. Uh, Lord, that everything I've shared tonight uh, would, would be a spiritual reality that we would all see together. And Lord, as we uh, look to you and, and envision our years as families and as, as individuals, Lord, may the vision of the house of the Lord and, and your call and your original uh, mandate for mankind, Lord, may that be the thing that shapes our own vision, that, that, that informs it and that guides it uh, to fulfillment. We do trust you with our lives. Uh, Lord, as you called us to forsake ourselves, forsake our, our own lives, and, and lose our lives, uh, we actually really find them. Uh, but we, we know that that's a leap of faith, to lose our lives for your sake. And uh, so, Lord, if, if there are any here who um, the challenge for them this year is going to, to be to relinquish something, to lay down their lives, to, to lose their lives, Lord, that you would meet them there and that you would give them the assurance that uh, no one who gives up lands or, or houses or, or anything in this life will not receive much more, many more times in this life and the age to come. Uh, Lord, that following you, that surrendering to you is not, does not diminish us as human beings. It causes uh, us to be the human beings that you've designed us to be. And so, Lord, for that, that aspect of discipleship, of, of radical surrender, uh, Lord, meet us with your grace. And Lord, for those of us who are in, uh, who are submitted to you and who are surrendered to you and who are waiting for a specific direction uh, for families and, and finances and scheduling and, and, and kids, Lord, direction with kids, uh, Lord, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. You are the master architect. You understand life. You understand um, Childhood, You understand this present age. You understand how your people ought to live in this present age. And we ask you for wisdom and clarity so that we could truly build your house and so that you could come and dwell among us and that the world would see who you are through our lives. Lord, that's what we want. Uh, and that's what your heart has always been for your people. And I pray that we would, uh, that you would be our God and we would be your people and that the world would know who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.